The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. I'm sure you guys had a lot of fun on your snow days, um, multiple, which is so crazy. I went to UW, and we they never, one time, ever, ever canceled school. And it did snow, so everybody's like, oh, we don't have snow tomorrow. I went to school tomorrow, and then the next day, I went to school. And then the next day, crazy, ridiculous. But snow days are awesome. Um, I always love snow days. On Tuesday night, I knew it was going to snow. And still, when I woke up in the morning on Wednesday and I saw all the snow, I was surprised and excited. And some people put on rollerblades and tank tops, which is great. Um, but I hope that you guys enjoyed your snow days. It's always a surprise. It's a surprise to be able to get up and have school off. It's always really exciting. And... Um, Tonight we're actually going to talk about surprises in the way that Jesus kind of surprised people with the way he approached. Um, he approached the world that he came into. If you've been here this quarter, oh, by the way, I'm Janie. I'm one of the people on staff. If you're here for the first time, welcome. We're excited that you're here. I'm excited that you're here. And if you've been here this quarter, you know that we've been um, going through a series called I Become. We've been looking at the book of Luke um, to answer the question, if we consider ourselves a follower of Christ, what does it mean to become like Christ? A couple of weeks ago, we had a guest speaker, Harvey Drake, who's actually going to be our winter retreat speaker, um, which was, was awesome. Harvey's awesome. And he talked about how it's really through God's transformation in his life that changed his life from the inside out. To become means to allow ourselves to be transformed by Christ. And if you were here last week, Kevin, the intern, spoke and shared some inappropriate stories with us, um, which was great. He also uh, shared the story of the Good Samaritan. And Kevin talked about how we aren't a neighbor so that God will love us. We are a neighbor because God loves us. Kevin challenged us in our lives, who can you be a neighbor to? Right? Not what will other people do to make me more comfortable but who can I be a neighbor to? And I actually want to take that question um, a little bit further tonight. That's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to continue in the book of Luke. And we're going to look at what Jesus, some of the things that Jesus did and said. I want us to look at how does becoming like Jesus, how does that play out practically? What does it look like in our everyday lives? If we're being transformed, it can be seen not just in who we are. It can be seen in what we do, how we live our life every day. Now, if we go through the book of Luke, if we grab Luke and we said, okay, I want to find, I want an overview. What's like the summary? What's the theme that Luke is going for? What we're going to find is a theme of breaking down boundaries. Luke talks about how Jesus ascribes worth to the people who don't have any according to this world. Jesus emphasizes the acceptance and inclusion of people who are excluded, outsiders, unwanted, uninvited people. And Luke does this more than the other Gospels, more than Matthew, more than Mark, more than John. He emphasizes that Jesus was looking for the lost, the least, and the left out. To know that they, too, are worth something in the eyes of God. Um, Luke emphasizes justice. So we're going to look at one specific instance of Jesus doing that, how he breaks down some boundaries 
that existed and ascribed worth. And we're going to talk about what does that mean for us as people who are trying to become like Jesus? What does it look like for us to try and do that as well? But before we do that, I want to pray for our time here tonight. Gracious God, you have blessed us with so many gifts. We have an abundance of you in our lives, and we are grateful. God, I pray that you would be with us here now, that your spirit would be in our hearts and our minds and in our presence, and help us to know and discover more what it looks like to become like you. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Amen. Okay, so this instance I want to look at with Jesus is one you might be familiar with. It's from Luke chapter 10. It's about Jesus um, interacting with Mary and Martha, um, coming to the home of Mary and Martha. And this is right after Jesus is done talking to the lawyer about the Good Samaritan, what Kevin talked about last week. Um, So it's Luke chapter, chapter 10, starting in verse 38. And we have it on the screen, so you can follow along as well. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, most often, this passage is used as a way to talk about the two sides of Christian spirituality. Um, it's valuable for anyone who, which is valuable for us to know, as people who want to become like Jesus. Do we take time to be quiet, to sit at Jesus' feet, to, to know God more, to, to read scripture? Or do we have a difficult time with that? Keep ourselves busy all the time, like someone who would have a bumper sticker that says, Jesus is coming, look busy, right? We're always busy doing stuff all the time. I know that's something that I struggle with. I always want to be doing, going, have a hard time stopping and sitting with Jesus. Obviously, both of them are important. Jesus certainly benefited from the work that Martha was doing. There's a place for serving, right? That's a big part of what we do is we serve. We can't just sit around all the time. Action and contemplation, the two sides of what it means to follow after Jesus. Because without action, we won't eat. And without contemplation, we won't worship. Now that is an an immediate observation, and I think a true one about what this scripture is saying. But I think that we can go beyond that. If we look at the, the overview I talked about before, about Luke. What is Luke trying to communicate about Jesus throughout the book? Because when you look at scripture, it's important to consider, what is the writer trying to get us to know? What's the context of what Luke is trying to communicate here? And um, Jesus, being God and all, kind of smart, um, he had complex, multiple meanings when he interacted with people, when he talked to them about things. And I don't necessarily think Jesus is only saying to Martha, Martha, chill, relax, take a deep breath for a second. I think that's part of what he's saying. But I think this is a boundary-breaking agenda for Jesus. This is one of those instances when Jesus is bringing a different definition of what justice looks like. Let me explain for a second. So Mary and Martha are women. Duh, Janie, we got that part. Um, and as to women, they had a particular role to play in this society. Women were, their job was in the household, they were in the house, in the kitchen, and men and women interacted in marriage relationships 
And that was pretty much it. Even when they went to church, well, it was synagogue. When they went to synagogue, men sat on one side of the room and women sat on the other side of the room. So women weren't super highly regarded in the culture. They were like what a non-Jewish man would be regarded, about equal there. So Jesus being at a meal that a meal with them was, first of all, it's a little out of the ordinary. And secondly, because she was at Jesus' feet, she wasn't in the kitchen with her sister, Mary was behaving like she was a man. That might have been what fired Martha up. Mary stepped out of bounds of what she's supposed to be doing. She is not in here helping me. She's behaving like a man. Now, I am someone that can kind of relate to that. I've been accused before of behaving like a man. Um, yeah, all right. Uh, so I, the Myers-Briggs test, have you guys ever taken the Myers-Briggs test before? You get like four letters that represent your personality characteristics. I took it and got the results and was reading this book about what my four personality characteristics said. And it said 97% of the time, this personality is male. Awesome. Really, no. I mean, it makes sense when you think about it. I mean, I have really broad shoulders. I'm really good at um, spatial reasoning stuff. I always come up with a third thing when I'm listing stuff. Anyways. Um... Or like, like Lindsey Vaughn, right? She's an Olympic a gold medalist. And everybody talks about how Lindsey is successful because she wears men's skis, right? She does things like a man. And that's what Mary was being accused of. In their culture, sitting at the feet of Jesus was something that only men did because he was a teacher. It's what a disciple did. It meant that you wanted to be a rabbi. It meant that you wanted to teach and preach yourself. And Mary took her place as a would-be teacher in the kingdom of God. I mean, who did she think she was? With Jesus, women are included in who can be a disciple. And that was so not what the world said. Now, I'm not saying this is a move forward for the women's movement, right? Feminists, yeah! Because what we're looking at in this instance is we're looking at Jesus. What did Jesus say? And again, this is a moment when people encounter Jesus. They are given worth in the kingdom of God that they don't have in this world, regardless of the social norms and the expectations that have been set out. And the most boundary-pushing thing Jesus says is these, Martha, 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 Mary has chosen the better thing. She knows that the love and the grace that, she, that God has given her is not only being given to her, but it can be extended through her as well. Jesus brought justice into a world that had its definition of justice completely skewed from what God intended. He ascribed worth to people who didn't have any. And in the case of these two women, he actually empowered them to let them know they could be disciples. And we, as people who are becoming like Jesus, are empowered in that way as well. Not only are we empowered to be discipled, we are empowered to also face injustice to look at the boundaries that have been placed in this world and say you know what that's not right now this concern for justice to turn systems upside down is a message that jesus had in luke but it's not a new message this is from the beginning this is all throughout the old testament i know your eyes are glazing over old testament oh great this is going to be awesome but this is really important for us to know that jesus's message started at the beginning god wanted israel 
to bring justice in the world. The prophet said to Israel all the time, Micah 6.8, what is required of you to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Amos 5 says, let justice roll down like a mighty river and righteousness flow like a never failing stream. In Isaiah 58, God says, is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? The fasting I have chosen is to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free. Is it not to share food with the hungry, provide the poor wanderer with shelter? Throughout the book of Luke, people watched Jesus and they saw what he was doing and they talked. Did you see that? He was touching lepers. He was keeping company with women and treating them like disciples. He was um, telling stories about good Samaritans, including Gentiles like they were equals. He treated tax collectors and prostitutes with dignity. This guy's crazy. People were appalled by him. And not only was justice what he demonstrated, he also talked about it. He talked to the Pharisees about it. One time he was at dinner with the Pharisees, and um, he says to them in Luke chapter 14, he says to his host, one of the Pharisees, then Jesus said to his host, when you, when you give a luncheon or, or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they might invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Jesus is insistent on bringing in the broken outsiders, giving them worth in the world that doesn't give them any. Not only that, but did you know that in Luke, one in seven verses makes reference to money? One in seven. Jesus talked about it more than he talked about heaven and hell combined. And money, I think we all know, is a way that we see injustice probably more than anything else in our world. The people who have money are worthy, and the people who don't are worthless, both figuratively and literally. And this was on the mind of Jesus. Now, thankfully, we live in 2012. The world we live in is completely just. Everyone knows the worth they have in the eyes of God, and everyone else treats them that way, right? Everyone has enough and is totally satisfied. There's no one out there trying to get more and more and more money for themselves. Okay, so we know the world that we live in is totally jacked up. Maybe even more so than it was 2,000 years ago. Prejudice still exists for, against people based on race, ethnicity, marital status, financial status, if you're uneducated, if you're obese, if you're elderly, if you're basically anything, if you're different in any way, which is all of us, we all see and experience injustice and also know that means that we are worthless in the eyes of others. Now, I know, I know. Janie, we all know this, okay? We are inundated with this information constantly, right? The people in Africa don't have clean water. Refugees in Bhutan, they've been in refugee camps for 25 years. I mean, so much so that we don't even pay attention to it anymore. These are huge problems. They can be incredibly overwhelming. We think about it and we're like, how am I supposed to have an impact on this? Are you kidding Now, the last thing I want is for us to get so overwhelmed with the macro of the brokenness of the world that we do nothing. We sit there like a deer in headlights. So we look at Jesus. We look at Jesus to know what do we do. Ultimately, Jesus paid 
a huge price. He did something earth-shattering for the entire world with bringing his love and grace and forgiveness by dying on the cross for us. But most of the stories of the gospel, most of them show Jesus interacting with people on a micro level, one-on-one. He heals the leper. He gives sight to the blind man. He ascribes worth to people like Mary and Martha, letting them know they matter in the kingdom of God. These are small things that he did over and over again throughout the Gospels. And these are small things that we can do too. Now granted, we're not necessarily going to be healing anyone. But becoming like Jesus means we are concerned about justice, the poor, the marginalized, the outsider. And that should affect the small everyday way that we live our lives, not just the big once-a-year things we do. Simple things like how we spend our money, how we spend our time, what we choose as a career, where we choose to live, how we look at other people, and how we act toward other people. Now, I know that um, these small things can be difficult, But if we're becoming like Jesus, it means taking risks, not allowing ourselves to be comfortable. I love how the Christian author and radical Shane Claiborne puts it in that he says, Jesus wrecked my life. I was a Christian. I was comfortable. I was living an easy life. And then I started looking in the Gospels at what the way Jesus lived his life. And Jesus wrecked my life. When it comes to how you spend your time, does injustice or the needs in the world ever cross your mind? There are so many ways that we can serve. The poor and marginalized right here where we live. Or going on a mission trip. We go down to the DR every year. We've been going there for 10 years. And we ask the people on staff at COTN, what does it do, the fact that we come down there? What, what does that do? And they say, you know what? Our kids know they are loved. When you come and share with them. Or maybe it's just taking a few extra moments when you're walking down the Ave to acknowledge the street youth that you walk by. Look them in the eye instead of ignoring them and pretending that they're not there. Now, hear me. I am not saying these things that we do. We don't do these things in order to make ourselves feel good. This is not about pursuing personal righteousness. This isn't a checklist. All right, I bought my Tom's shoes. Check. I got my fair trade coffee. Check. You know, I did my one service day of the year. I am good. I know God loves me now. Because this is about becoming who God created us to be because God loves us. Not so God loves us. What if we simply change the way we look at other people instead of jumping to judgment about how different or annoying they are as soon as we see them or interact with them? Like, think about when you're traveling. I am the worst about this if I'm on a plane. Right? As soon as I sit down, my mind starts going, my judgments start just flowing through my brain. Dude, do not talk to me. Right? Or, I, nice outfit for a flight. That looks great. Those stilettos are really working for you. Or, oh my gosh, you are not going to get that bag in the overhead compartment, you moron! This is immediately what I think when I start sitting down. What would happen if instead of judging... I ascribed worth to these people, the worth that I know Jesus has for them. Just thought, dude, God loves you. God created you. Hey, lady, God loves you. God created you. I might get there sometime. But right now I know 
God loves you and God created you. I mean, that would be revolutionary. Instead of thinking about how stupid, unattractive, how pathetic, needy, how fill-in-the-blank the people are that we interact with, we actually ascribe to them worth. That's the justice of Jesus. What about how we spend our money? Oh, yeah. I went there. Money. It was obviously important to Jesus in Luke and injustice can be seen probably in our world with money more than anything else, right? Consumption, overconsumption, materialism. That is what we are always thinking about in our culture. How do we get more money? In becoming like Jesus, we can't let money rule our lives, be the reason that we do anything. Now, I'm not going to demonize consumption. I'm not going to say it's terrible. You can never buy anything. Like we're We're blessed. It's not a terrible thing to live the lives we do. I don't think we should get rid of everything, sell everything we have, go live in caves, stop showering. I mean, I don't necessarily think this can be effective for sharing the gospel. But what I will demonize is overconsumption. Are we thoughtful about how we spend our money? Do we just buy stuff, thoughtlessly consume? Now you're probably thinking, Janie, you're talking to college students. You moron. Come on, ascribe worth to me. We don't have any money. But compared to the rest of the world, we do. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but a professor broke down the Earth's population if it were only like 100 people. And we were a village, the village of Earth were 100 people and talked about what would it look like for 100 people socioeconomically. So let's say like this group over here, this is about 100 people right here. This is village Earth. What we would have in this group here, 52 would be female, 48 would be male, 70 would be non-white, 30 would be white. Six people, six of 100, would have 60% of the wealth, and all six would be from the United States. 80 would live in substandard housing, 70 would be unable to read, 50 would suffer from malnutrition, one would be near death, one would be near birth, One would have a college education, and one would own a computer. Now, if you're getting a college education, raise your hand. You're getting a college education? If you own a computer, raise your hand. All right, now we're praising the Lord, right? (laughs) But obviously, we are rich. We don't see ourselves that way a lot of times, but we are very rich. And we can easily become obsessed with money and making sure we have enough, getting more. A few years ago, my core group, we were talking about justice in this world, and they decided, you know, consumption is just a huge deal. I feel like we want to do something in our everyday lives about it. So how about we decide for a period of time to not buy anything new? I was like, great, yeah, let's do it. This will be, this will be great for us. It will be great discipline. So we would buy food and necessities like soap and um deodorant and stuff like that, and we would buy gifts for other people, but we wouldn't buy anything new, just to kind of think about how we spent our money. So I, I let them kind of figure out what we were going to do, and I said, how long do you guys want to do this for? We decided we want to do this for one year. She go, what? No. Okay. Really? That's what you want to do? And they're like, yeah, this is going to be great. We're going to do it for a year. And I was like, awesome. Let's do it. <laughs> So we did, my core group, for an entire year, we didn't buy anything new. And we all failed, but (laughs) 
we all, we all did a great job of keeping each other accountable and, and working with each other and helping each other with this idea of not buying anything new for a year. And after the first couple months, we started, we stopped wanting anything new. We just didn't really think about it anymore. And this was a few years ago, and still, the things that I take from that experience most is, um, I still, when I buy something new, I think about spending money. Do I really need this? And probably the biggest thing I took is that I discovered what it looks like to really trust that I have enough and that God has provided for me. Now, we are 2,000 years past the book of Luke and Jesus' concern for justice, speaking against money, ascribing worth to people like Mary and Martha, and yet this world is still pretty broken. Are we going to use the God-given forgiveness, love, grace, worth that we've we've experienced in order to be sure of our own security? Or are we going to step out of what's comfortable and extend that to the world that we're in? No Christian that is becoming like Jesus can remain content in the face of the fact that there are so many people that need to know the worth of God. Can we push boundaries, going beyond what's easy, go beyond ourselves to what's out there? For some reason, we have this idea often in America that Christianity is supposed to be safe and secure. And it's secure in that my worth is secure in Jesus. But it's really radical. It's not going with the flow. It's about being people who will speak into injustice that's going on in this world. Speak God's worth to people who desperately need it. What are the areas of your life where you can step outside of what's normal? What your regular paradigm looks like? Who do you know that's on the fringes? Who do you know that could benefit from hearing the worth that they have in God? What are the everyday changes that you can make that declare, I do not live like this world? I live like someone who is becoming like Christ, becoming who he has created me to be. I'm going to close with prayer from a book um, by Walter Brueggemann called Prayers for a Privileged People. It's called Giver of All Good Gifts. You are the God who feeds and nourishes You are the God who assures that we have more than enough, and we do not doubt that. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. Even in such an assurance, however, we scramble for food. After we have filled all our baskets, we seek out a surplus. Enough education to plan ahead. Enough power to protect our supply. Enough money to assure our protection. Stir us by your spirit beyond fearful accumulation toward outrageous generosity. That giving bread to others makes for peace. That giving drink to others makes for justice. That giving and sharing opens the world and assures abundance for all. You will feed us till we want no more. Gracious God, we are grateful that you have poured so many good gifts upon us that we have our worth in you and we know the justice that you have brought into this world. 
God, I pray that you would open all of our hearts and our minds to the places where your worth needs to be spoken. Your justice needs to spring forth. And help us to have the courage to take a risk, make a radical choice for a world that desperately needs it. In your holy name, amen.